we've had a ton of people from our church that have gone through financial peace. I, I've gone through it and really gained so much. Uh, it's going to be starting up again on Sunday, February the 10th. There's some more information about it in your worship program. Uh, this might be for you, for your family. Maybe you're just out of college. Maybe you're in college. Um, a great next step for you in this area of finances and generosity. Uh, check out FPU. Uh, just outside of these doors to the left, we've got a connection groups area set up this morning. Uh, you can learn about a whole bunch of different groups that are happening at Genesis right now uh, that you can get plugged into, including groups like FPU. Uh, and, and so check that out. And if you have any questions, uh, please let us know how we can help you more in that. Hey, how many of you are on Twitter? How many of you, I, like I haven't spent a ton of time there, I'm still getting used to it, learning all the rules and everything, but uh, you know, if you're on Twitter, maybe enjoy Twitter, spend a lot of time, there's a common hashtag or a topic on Twitter uh, that's called First World Problems. I don't know if any of you have seen this or not. Uh, it's really pretty funny. Uh, I've been checking it out recently, but it's called First World Problems. And basically what it means is that there are those things uh, that we encounter uh, by living in a first world like America. Or things that really, when you think about it, are, are kind of sort of amusing. We, we complain about these things. But they really are a product of living in a developed society uh, like America. For instance, one of the examples is like this. Somebody tweeted recently, uh, my meal was so large, it got cold before I could finish it. All right. Like that's a first world problem. All right. I mean, in third world countries, like it's starvation and poverty and those things. But in a first world, you know, like America, we, well, you know, my meal got too cold. Uh, here's another one. Somebody wrote, uh, no one delivers tacos in my town. All right. Again, there, there's a first world problem. Or how about this one? Cause it's not just about food. One person said, I, I don't have any work to do at my job this week, but I still have to show up. All right, first world problem. Uh, my back hurts from lying in bed and watching TV all day. Uh, someone, someone tweeted, the owner of the Wi-Fi I've been stealing had their techie son home for Christmas and now they've got a password, all right? Uh, the waitress refilled my coffee cup and now my cream and sugar balance is completely off. Or uh, how about this one? I can't use the touch screen on my phone while wearing winter gloves. Again, it's a first world problem. Well, well, first world problems aren't anything new. And it really turns out that even as you look in the Bible, that in the days of Jesus, uh, there were people dealing with these quote unquote uh, first world problems. And, and as today, as we finish up this series that we've been in here at Genesis called The Ladder, um, we're going to look at one such person and one such instance of this. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I want to invite you to take them if you would uh, so that you can be there with us and, and turn to Luke chapter 12. And uh, as you do that, I want to remind you that uh, we're getting ready to start the story here at Genesis. We're going to spend 31 weeks working through the Bible. And uh, one of the tools that we're going to use with that is a book called The Storybook. And we, we've a sold a ton of these or a $5 donation. Uh, we've got those available outside at the Info Hub, or, um, and you can pick one up. I'm going to intro uh, kind of the story next week, and then beginning February the 3rd, I'm going to encourage you to start reading, if you haven't already, and if you've had, that's fine, uh, but we're going to get started next week, uh, and so if you're like, okay, when's the starting point to start reading, uh, it's next Sunday, all right, and so next Sunday, I'll say, okay, now read chapter 1, and, and then we'll preach on chapter 1 starting on Sunday, February the 10th, but speaking of the story, speaking of our Bibles, Luke chapter 12, Here, here's what you need to know before we get into this, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, uh, he would go around from place to place and, and teach. And he regularly taught 
with parables, what the Bible calls a parable. Now, a parable is a simple story. Uh, it's, it's typically a made-up story. It's very believable, but it's a fictitious story and, and told in such a way to illustrate a bold, bold uh, moral or spiritual lesson. And, and Jesus used these parables all the time as a teaching device. Uh, he basically told these parables as a way of getting his point across. And on this one occasion, uh, Jesus was talking to a group of people and he was talking to them specifically about the dangers of greed and possessions. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 16, it picks up this way and simply starts out. And he told them this parable. And here's how it goes. Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, let's just stop there for a second, because if Jesus told this parable today, we'd have a whole bunch of people that wouldn't like this guy. All right. And they wouldn't like him. The media would be all over him, all right? Because right now, you know, the rich getting richer, it's really kind of sort of a touchy subject. And, and this parable, and, and as we can see, this farmer has been pretty successful. Uh, he's rich, and now his crops yield abundantly. I mean, it's what we'd call a bumper crop. And so here's this dilemma, verse 17. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, there it is. That's the first world problem, all right, for this particular guy. He basically says, hey, I've got so much stuff, I have no idea where to put it all. Now, before you or I go about judging this guy, let's remember that we've all got first world problems kind of like this too, don't we? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, how many of you have stuff in your garage right now? And because you have stuff in your garage, your car had to sleep outside in the cold last night, right? All right, we, 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 everyone can kind of relate with that. Or, or if you're like my family right now, you've already got that pile or uh, coming together in the basement, getting it ready for the spring garage sale. I mean, all those things that you don't need anymore. Or how, how many of you have ever noticed how, especially in Hamilton County, there are storage units everywhere? I mean, you'll drive by a few of them on the way home today. It's those units to hold on to those things that we don't have room for, you know, in our house. And, and I know there are all sorts of other reasons for them, too. But you can kind of see what's going on here with this rich farmer. I mean, he's got a storage problem. He doesn't have enough room, so he comes up with a solution. Verse 18 says, then he said, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain Remember, Jesus is telling this story now. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, we can look at this and think, that, that's great advice, right? I mean, if your barns aren't large enough, just build bigger barns so that you have a place to store it all. I mean, when you think about it, do you realize that we have a whole multi-billion dollar industry today devoted to giving advice like this? It's called the financial planning industry. And any wise financial planner would coach you to do things like this, or at least the modern day equivalent. And that is that you, hey, you don't need a whole bunch of money in your checking account. You'd be better off to take some of that money and put it into a savings plan or put it into a mutual fund or put it into an IRA. I mean, you need to invest it. And, and that's great wisdom. I mean, that's great wisdom that any person should benefit from. And if, and if that's what your kids do one day, I mean, like if later on in life you discover that they were actually listening and not spending everything but putting some money off to the side and investing it, you or I, I mean, we'd all be proud. And, and that's probably what this crowd listening to Jesus is really thinking as he tells this story. And, and after all, there's a lot in the Jewish culture that rewards being wealthy and most of the people around this time would have assumed that this man in the story was wealthy because God had blessed him. 
And that only makes sense in this time because if God's on your side, you're going to have a lot of stuff and you're going to be rich. That's what they thought. That's what they believed. Plus, again, there's a lot of wisdom in the Old Testament, too, that talks about the importance of saving. I mean, it's like one proverb says, you know, that in the house of the wise are the stores of fine food and oil. But then it says, but a fool devours it all. I mean, the wise puts things away for the future. It's a fool who devours everything they have. But, but don't miss this. I mean, you know, Jesus is not against saving. Right? You, you have to see that. And he's not against mutual funds and 401ks. And he's not against wealth either. That's not the point of the parable. Remember, Jesus is talking about the dangers of greed. He's talking about this consuming desire for possessions. He's got no problem with this man's wealth. He's just concerned that this man's wealth has become his primary focus. And even if you look at this parable in the Greek, and you can see it here in the NIV translation too, I mean, the word my is used something like four times. The word I is used eight times. I mean, for this guy, all of his focus is on himself. He's got no thought of God or concern for anyone else. This parable, really, when you think about it, is all about self-indulgence. I mean, this rich man is completely focused on the temporal. And so for that reason... Jesus is ready to drop a bomb on the crowd, all right? And, and, uh, and if you're not a Christian, this might be a little difficult for you to comprehend. But Jesus wasn't afraid to get into people's minds. He wasn't afraid to flip things upside down because level four should have do that. And that's what he came to do. And so the rich man, you know, he's here saying, hey, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. Then I can store all of my wealth, relax, take it easy, vacation the rest of my life. But look what the text says, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, if you're in the crowd at this point, you're listening like these people are. They're probably thinking, what? I mean, what do you mean fool? Wait a minute. I mean, this this is a smart guy. And now you're going to kill him off? I mean, aren't we supposed to like this guy? Aren't we supposed to admire this guy and follow him and, and live like him? But now you're talking about taking his life? Remember, it's a parable, all right? This guy doesn't exist. Jesus isn't picking anybody off here. But what's Jesus saying? I mean, what's the point he's trying to make? Well, for the rich man in this story, he had one fatal flaw, and that is that God is not at the center of his life. God's not the priority. I mean, for the rich man, his primary passion wasn't in following God or following Jesus, but in following his wealth. And so Jesus is trying to make a very strong point here that if your life is all about saving and accumulating and growing rich, and that is your primary purpose, then you're really missing the point of life. You're missing your purpose. And so we know and we assume that the rich man in this story that Jesus is telling, he dies, and Jesus wraps up the parable with a question, a question for the crowd. And you just basically ask, okay, now what good is the bumper crop to him? I mean, he kept it all for himself. And now what good is it? And then he concludes with this statement. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I mean, I think if Jesus were were sharing this parable today, I think he'd say it like this. It's in your notes if you want to write it down. um, That we gain from what we give and not what we leave. We gain in this life and purpose from what we give and not what we leave. I mean, those who gain the most out of this life, according to God, according to Jesus, are the ones who are most generous. And so that's why we've been talking about the latter. We've got a couple of them up here. 
We've been talking about these over the past couple of weeks, and we've tried to encourage everyone to think about getting on the ladder somewhere. That's the challenge. The challenge isn't about a certain amount, but it's just everyone taking a step. And if you're not already on the ladder, if you're not already on this path toward generosity, it's just about getting on the ladder somewhere because the desire that God has for your life and my life and even for this church is a life of generosity in in all things, including your finances, that we would give, that we would give generously. And so generosity is where this ladder is going and that's what god wants for each and every one of us and as first timothy said and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago generosity is the path towards a life that is truly life i mean that's what god desires what he has laid out for each of us and so two weeks ago we started talking about what it means to become an initial giver an initial giver is someone who takes a first step on the ladder. And if you missed that message or any of these messages, you can check them out online or pick one up at the info hub today before you go. But an initial giver is someone who maybe realizes or recognizes that I'm not giving anything, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a step up onto the ladder and I'm going to give something and I'm going to give it first every month. I'm going to come up with an amount and I'm going to give it consistently. And that amount is between you and God. I mean, that you come up with that for yourself and you take the first step up on the ladder. And it's just really cool. And again, I've seen some stories. I've heard some stories of those who are doing just that. And if that's you, you just keep going. All right, I I am behind you. We're behind you. And you just keep reaching out to God and trusting him uh, with all things, but keep going. But last week, we talked about another step on the ladder and another step for many of you. And, and that's what it means to take the next step from maybe being a, 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 an initial giver to what we call the proportional giver. Now, a proportional giver is a percentage giver. And we just talked about what the Bible has to say about what it means to be a, a 10% giver, to, to just live your life in such a way that you say, you know what, it all comes from God, but I'm going to set apart the first 10% of everything that I receive and I'm going to give it to my church or I'm going to give it to other you know, places that are set on an eternal perspective and and as i told you just told you just a while ago we had something like over a hundred people and many for the first time that have said you know what i'm taking that step and i just think that's so awesome and if you miss that opportunity and you want that accountability uh, we've got some of those cards back at the info hub you can fill it out today Uh, we'll send you some encouragement some email encouragements along the way just to say way to go keep going and, and just try it just try it for 10 weeks well today As we close, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at what it means to take another step on the ladder. And if you're taking notes, we're just calling this what it means to be a generous giver. And a generous giver is someone who is ready or willing or able to move on from 10% because it's where you recognize that it all comes from God. It all belongs to Him. And so if you're here, And if you've been giving, if you've been tithing and maybe doing that faithfully, um, this challenge is for you today. And as we've had a challenge for everyone each week, uh, I'm going to challenge you to think about even taking a step in your giving and your generosity uh, towards God today. Because again, generosity has no finish line. And just real practically, if you remember from last week, and I had to make sure I had 10 $1 bills in my pocket again. Um, but we just talked about, you know, tithing is just simply this, that every time you get 10 of these, I, I've got 10 $1 bills. You take one and you set it aside and you say, you know what, I'm going to give this back to God. I'm going to give it to his work through my church or, you know, through other places that also have an eternal perspective. And uh, again, it's great to see that happening. And I know many of you are striving or living uh, in such a way 
But uh, one of the cool things is this, especially when we think about generosity. And, and if you've been around Genesis for a while, you know this, you've seen this, that we've got a lot of people here uh, that have made it a practice to give something or to give one of these every time they get 10 of these. But if, if you've been around here for a while and you enjoy the coffee and you enjoy the bagels and you enjoy what's happening in the facility and the expansion of this facility and you've celebrated with us as now we're one church in two locations and you know, your kids love what are happening in Gen Kids, you know that all of that happens not because of people that have given something or given one of these, but we've had people that at times in their life have been willing to say, you know what, I'm not only willing to give one of these, but I, re- I really want to respond to what God's doing in my life. And so they're, they're maybe willing to give three and four of these as a way of saying, God, I realize that it all comes from you. And I want to invest in the work that you're doing through my church in helping people find their way back to God. So we're going to look at what that means for us today. And again, one thing I want to make really clear uh, is that while personally I believe that your tithe ought to go to your local church first, um, I, I want to remind you that Jesus wants us to be generous in all things. And, and, and remember, just as Luke twelve twenty one says, you know, Jesus talked about the importance of being generous towards God and towards his work. And, and here's the cool thing about that. You can be generous towards God by being generous towards people. And so when you start giving and when you start tithing, God's going to start growing your heart. He's going to start opening your eyes to see things you've never seen before. And you'll not only want to give to a church like Genesis, but you're going to want to give beyond Genesis to other great causes like Young Life, uh, Keynote, Campus Crusade Crew, as as they're called, and so many others, so many other places, great ministries that have an eternal perspective. And and that's just one way that God has really stretched uh, Jenny and me. You know, we we go online, we give online here at Genesis every two weeks, but we also, uh, and and we give, we tithe um, over and above here to to Genesis Church, but but God has grown us in that area to where we give to other places now. Um, And and I I don't tell you that to impress you, but but as I challenge you today in that or in all of this, I just want to let you know that I'm letting God do that work in in my life too. So uh, here's what I want to do. If we want to, And if there's any part of you at all, and I I think we've all got some of this in us to a degree, if we really want to be generous people, uh, we we, we need to know how generous people live and how they act. And so I want to just share with you a few characteristics I've noticed in generous people. And and the first one is this, that generous people are thankful. They really are. I mean, I see it all the time. I mean, and as a pastor here, I've got the really cool opportunity of thanking people who give on a regular basis. Uh, You may or may not know that whenever someone gives a gift uh, in a measurable way, here for the first time at Genesis Church, I've made it a practice that I send a written thank you note or an email just as a way of saying thanks. Uh, just to say, hey, thanks for partnering with us in ministry. And, and I've got to be honest, that when I first started doing this about three, three and a half years ago, we were a much smaller church. All right, I didn't have to write as many notes. But today I write a lot of notes. And I love writing those notes. That's good for my heart. And I love being able to say thanks to people on behalf of Genesis Church. And in addition to this, you know, when someone gives an, an unusually large gift here, um, I'll typically get a note uh, from our finance team. And, and so what I'll do is I'll try and follow up with that person just as a way of saying thank you. And what I found is that whenever somebody gives an unusually large gift, there's usually a story behind it. And I get the privilege of hearing that story. Like I remember a couple of years ago uh, in one of our offerings, we had a check for $6,000. And it was from a family that gave regularly, but it was, it was an unusually, it was, it was a bit of a large gift. And, and so I, I followed up and I just said, hey, um, if you don't mind, 
um, is there a story behind this? And he said, yeah, there's a story behind it. He said, you know, uh, he says, my wife and I, we've been looking at, at our home and our life, and we realize, you know, we're not giving like we really think we ought to. And he says, hey, here's what's holding us up. We've, we've got some debt in our past from some failed businesses in the past. And so it's really prohibited us. It, it's kind of challenged our faith. And so we haven't been giving. And, and so he said, hey, here's what I did. He said, just recently, I, I, I tested God. And I just said, hey, God, if, if you would provide and, and really help us make a great stride in taking care of this debt, um, I'll give it to you. You know, I, I'll do what you want me to do. He said, I don't even know if you can do that, but I did that. And, and and sure enough, it was within a couple of weeks that he walked into the office and wasn't expecting a year-end bonus, but found out that he was getting a $60,000 year-end bonus. The very first check that he wrote was a $6,000 check to Genesis Church. He said, you know, I just gave that because this church has meant so much for us. It's meant so much to my family. We believe in the mission and everything that is happening here. You know, I, I find it over and over again that generous people are so filled with gratitude that I can't help but wonder if there's a relationship between the two. I mean, is it true that God blesses those who are thankful? And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel sort of stuff here. But I mean, you just have to wonder about the pattern sometimes that you give, you're thankful, God blesses. I find over and over again that generous people are thankful. The second thing that I see in generous people are that generous people are impulsive. Now, when I say this, I mean it in the very best sense that generous people tend to give impulsively. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Albert Einstein once said that uh, we should never resist a generous impulse. I think that means a lot more for us as Christians too. Now, all of us have impulses and there are impulses that we need to make sure to resist. But some impulses were meant to be acted on. And all of us have these. I mean, you've got them that come up in your life every single day as you interact with people. I mean, you'll hear of someone who needs help. And for one reason or another, you'll have an impulse to help them. Now, if you're like me, I probably resist these opportunities to help more than I realize, more than I'd like. I know that I've got some work to do in an area like this. But if we want to be generous, we shouldn't miss, you shouldn't miss any, any opportunity that you have to give and to act. I mean, if you want to be generous and you hear of a need uh, to respond or to help someone, just make it a point to act. I mean, stop second-guessing yourself. And, and just act in those moments. Just do it. And I mean, if you have something to sell, but you hear of someone else that maybe is looking for what you're trying to sell, is it possible that maybe God could be working in that situation would maybe even prompt you to say, you know what, why, why don't you just take it? Why don't you just have this? Just try being impulsive. Um, I, I heard about this one example. I see this all the time around Genesis Church. Uh, it's it just like with selling the copies of the story right now. Uh, I heard about someone from our church that as they went up to the table the other day, they put down $60 and just said, hey, I only need one, but what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to just give some away. We see that all the time here. Again, I, I'm guessing that it was an impulse and they acted and probably blessed by it. And someone else to have the opportunity to be blessed by that too. I, I've seen this in others. You know, one of the cool things about uh, being a pastor is that I get to be the in-between guy uh, for so many sort of anonymous gifts. And, and so over and over again, I can think of several in the last month or two where people heard of something, heard of a need, maybe someone in this church through a small group or through a connection or whatever. And I'll get a call from someone who will just say, hey, I want to give some money to such and such but I don't want to have anything else to do with it. Would you just take it? I want to be anonymous in that. And then I get to go and I get to give that gift. I get to play that in-between role to generosity. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing, you know, that most of the generous people that I know, I, they, just, they give into their impulses all of the time. Now, do generous people plan their giving? Yes. 
I mean, they do plan their giving. And most of the time, they're not only generous givers, but they're also proportional percentage givers. And so they're strategic about how they give. I mean, they have it planned out over the course of the year. But they might also realize that they can plan all they want and God's going to still throw them some curveballs from time to time. Generous people realize that they can never outgive God. And so the giving continues. And another thing that I see is that generous people like to be stretched. They really do. Uh, I mean, for the most generous people I know, generosity, it almost becomes like a sport for them. I mean, it's almost like a game that they play. It's like they're always trying to take another step to do a little more every year. I mean, I know of one family here at Genesis. They were on their way uh, here uh, just a little while ago, and they were talking about they're having a conversation of, hey, what are we going to do with our tax return uh, in 2013? Well, that very same day, they heard that our very own Josh and Heidi Tandy were going to leave to go plant a church, and they almost immediately turned and looked at one another and said, I guess we just figured out what we're going to do with our tax return. I mean, once you realize, once you start moving in the direction and reminding yourself all the time that it all belongs to God and that you can never outgive Him, I mean, you just get to this place where you discover that returning the tithe, it, it just always isn't enough. And last week we talked about that passage from the book of Malachi where God says, hey, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life that you won't have a place to put it all. And so for some people, when they do that and God proves that he is faithful, I mean, their generosity becomes addictive of sorts. And it's like they can't stop at 10%. And so they might give over and above to other things that are happening in and around Genesis Church. But the giving often extends beyond generous to, uh, to Genesis to, to other causes and other opportunities that come up locally and around the world. Other ministries that are having an impact too. Because again, generosity... It has no finish line. And that's the life that God has in mind for all of us. And, and so as a way of kind of bringing all this to an end, you know, we, we, we've talked about different goals with this series. You know, we've, we've talked about the importance. I mean, really the goal is, you know, what could happen if every person took a step on this ladder in, in some way? And, and as we started out in preparing for this series, uh, it was our goal to challenge every person here along the way. And so we talked about, you know, again, what it means to be an initial giver, that if you're not giving something, just start giving something. I mean, between you and God and give it first and give it consistently and make it a discipline in your life. Or again, what it means to be a proportional giver, to just kind of to strive for getting to that 10% mark more as a starting point. Again, it's not a finish line, but really this idea that generosity begins at 10%. And today's no different either. Uh, just a very specific challenge for some of you, whoever this impacts. I mean, that if you give over and above, uh, if you tithe, and, and, and I can't say thank you enough uh, because God is doing some great things because of your work and your gifts. If, if you're already on this step of tithing, here's a challenge for you for this week. And, and it can go one of two ways. My challenge for you specifically is this. What would it look like for you to pray to consider increasing your giving by 1%? in 2013 to just say you know what that's the next step that i'm going to take on this ladder because i never want to arrive but my challenge for you specifically is to take one step and just say hey in 2013 i'm going to increase my giving by one percent now i think you can do one of two things with that Uh, first of all you can consider increasing your giving to genesis church by one percent And what does that mean? Well, it's just real simple that if you've been given 10% for one year or 10 years or 30 years of your life, and maybe um, as you kind of reflect on it, it, it's sort of kind of become a little comfortable, you know, maybe even a little effortless. 
would God be challenging you to take a step of faith even in your own life of generosity and increase your giving by 1% to where you're now giving 11%? Or if you give 15% to now giving 16%. And so you can do that, all right? But I think there's another part to it too, and that is that if you're already tithing, if you're already giving as a proportional percentage sort of giving to giver to Genesis, would you consider giving outside of the walls of this church to another opportunity or another ministry with an eternal perspective? And again, if you don't know where or you aren't will or, or you don't know where to give or where to go with this, I'd recommend some of the strategic ministry partners that we support as a church. Uh, we've got a few of them, I think, uh, believe listed in the worship program today. Uh, and so you could do that through a local organization like Good Samaritan right here in Hamilton County. Uh, you could do that through Shepherd Community uh, in, in Indianapolis, a great inner city ministry that we support. Uh, Josh and Heidi, who have been on this staff for over three years now, are getting ready to go and plant the church. And, and they're looking for supporters uh, in that. Uh, you can give to places like Nehemiah Vision Ministries. There are so many places that I could stand up here and list for you. But maybe it's something that we're not supporting as a church, but it's something you're very passionate about. What would it mean for you to take that step and say, you know what, I, I'm going to increase my giving this year maybe by a percentage, and whether I give that to my church or give that to someone else. Again, the challenge is, if you, would, would God be leading you to take a step as a way of trusting Him, and would you consider increasing your giving by 1% in 2013? And as I've tried to emphasize during this series, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do as well. And so knowing that I'd be preaching this message today, uh, Jenny and I started talking about what this would mean for us. And, and as I've shared really honestly with you over the last few weeks, you know, we started tithing uh, 13 years ago right at giving 10%. And, and over the years, God has really blessed us and stretched us in this. And because of this, we no longer give 10%, but we give above that 10%. And and we've been able to take some steps, I guess, if you would, uh, on this ladder. And that giving goes to Genesis. But in addition to that giving, uh, we give to some ministry partners in Central Asia and in Haiti and in other opportunities that come up around here, including with things like Next when it comes to mission expansion and starting new campuses. Um, but knowing that I was going to challenge some of you to take this step today, um, I sat down with Jenny in the last couple of weeks and just said to her, hey, um, what would it look like for us? What do you think about taking a step in our giving? And she looked at me and said, are you crazy? No, I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. So uh, she's the generous one in our house. Um, but we really wanted to take this step too. And so we came to the decision together that uh, we're increasing our giving to Genesis Church by 1% in 2013. And when it comes to 2014, we're going to ask the question if we can do that again and, and just keep moving. Because here's what we know and what we believe, that it all belongs to God. That generosity has no finish line. And I know that God still has a ton of work to do in my heart and in my life, and I want the life that is truly life. And, and like many of you, Jenny and I are doing everything that we can to make sure that we're storing up treasures, not on earth, but storing up those treasures in heaven. Now, I don't share that with you today, so that you'd sit out there and think, wow, like our pastor's so awesome, you know, I mean, that he'd be willing to do this. And it has nothing to do with guilt either. I'm not the model of generosity. Please know that. I mean, I mean, if you had any idea of the potential influence and power that money could have over my life, you probably wouldn't let me teach this message. I mean, there are so many others. I mean, even right here in this room, people that far surpass me in this area of generosity. But I share this with you today because I'm an example of someone who has lived on my plan and I've lived on God's plan. 
And 14 years ago, I started out as an initial giver and God helped me become a proportional giver. And now he's helping me to grow into a generous giver. And I'll tell you what, having been on my plan and now on God's plan, I would never go back to living on my plan ever again. I have no regrets of the way that God has blessed me and blessed our home and blessed our family. And that's what I want for you too. And so if you're not giving, start giving something. Just make that a goal in your life. I mean, you might be surprised to see what God does in your heart. If you're not tithing and would like to, and I know that for some of you, maybe you walked away with the best intentions this past week, but as you looked at the numbers, you were like, it's crazy. Like there is no way. Some of you probably need to take that step of faith. But I realize that for others of you, maybe you need to step back and think, okay, maybe here's a goal. Maybe I'll increase my giving by a percentage this year and the next year I'll do it again the same and I'm just gonna keep moving on ahead. I believe that God loves that desire in us and that faith in us and he'll celebrate those steps with you and me and anyone that's willing to take them. But if you're given beyond the tithe, don't be afraid to let God stretch you in this area of generosity too as he is for me because again, generosity has no finish line. And so ask God, pray to God. This is between you and God. God, what would you do through me? What would you have me do in 2013? And I promise you that no matter where you are on this ladder right now, you will never waste your money and investing in the work that God is doing through Genesis Church and in through so many other great places and ministries right here in this world. So finally, just as a way of kind of wrapping this up, you know, maybe you hear all of that today and you think to yourself, you know, I want that. I want to take those steps. I want to be on that path. And I believe that, that many here today, this is what you want. This is the life that we want to live. Uh, we want to grow in generosity. How do you do that? Just real fast. These are just the closing statements for this series on the ladder. One I would just say to you is just, just start thinking beyond yourself in anything and everything. Just think beyond yourself. I mean, the rich man in this parable had one person in mind, himself. But remember, Jesus warned about that kind of life. He warned about those sort of dangers. Is it okay to buy things? Yes. Is it okay to take trips? Yes. I mean, is it okay to put money away and to save for the future? Yes. But nothing tops investing your resources in the work of God in this world. I mean, there is nothing like giving generously and seeing the potential and the work of God around you in your life in so many ways. And don't just think about yourself, but again, ask God to open up your heart to see people as he sees them. Do you know this? I heard one person say it like this one time. You, you have never come eyeball to eyeball with anyone that God is not crazy about. And when you let God start working in your heart that way, challenge you to give in those ways, to live in those ways, there's no idea of what he could do in your life and in my life. And do you know what you discover as you grow in this area of giving and generosity? You never miss money you give. You really don't. All the time I can think about money that I miss when I waste it, but I never miss money that I give. I've never missed a dollar that I've given away. Second time is just spend time with generous people. Get around generous people, hear their stories, learn from them, ask questions of them. I mean, if you spend time, if you spend all your time with self-centered people, there's a really good chance that you will become a very self-centered sort of a person. But we all like to hang out with generous people and learn from them. And they usually buy lunch, which is really cool when you hang out with generous people. <laughs> But no, the truth is that generosity is contagious. And when you talk with generous people and you hear their joy in giving and you see the look on their face and you hear their giving stories, it inspires you and you want to be more like them. And that can only lead to good things for you. Uh, there's a story that I came across uh, about a guy by the name of Donald Rauer. Uh, Donald Rauer was not a generous man. And as a middle manager of a manufacturing company, he knew the value of earning a paycheck. Uh, and maybe it was his work ethic that got him caught up in keeping money at a very tight, tight grip. But 
one phone call uh, changed all that for him. Uh, the story goes that Donald was told his only surviving relative, his uncle Mike, had lost a long battle with emphysema. And, and Mike left a large sum of money and a foundation and named Donald as the trustee. But the seven figures are not what changed him. The money had a string attached. Uncle Mike requested that Donald give away every dollar, all million of them, to worthy causes over the next 12 years. Well, Rauer reluctantly agreed, but he wouldn't just throw the money away. He ruthlessly scrutinized nonprofit after nonprofit until he found one or a few that met his standards. He gave small amounts to each one. And as the organizations received the gifts, they began to send back reports on what the money was being used for. Children with bloated bellies were being fed. Orphan babies were finding homes. Impoverished communities were learning skills for a brighter future. Bit by bit, the stories cracked Rauer's tough shell. As the months passed, he became interested, then intrigued, then captivated by the work. Rauer slowly began to give his own time to help these organizations, even taking a summer off to volunteer. Four years ahead of schedule, Uncle Mike's foundation was empty, but Donald Rauer's heart was not. He began transferring his own savings to the foundation and donated most of his salary and pension to relief work. And at age 71, he retired as a middle manager, but never as a giver. He spent the next 18, or 15 years giving to the causes that gripped his heart. And when he died at the age of 86, his life was completely devoted to this generous lifestyle. See, the thing is this. It's easy to be generous when you come to that place in life where you realize you're not playing with your own money anymore. That it all belongs to Him. It's all from God. Every bit of it. And realizing and accepting that, I mean, it makes it so easy to be generous. And the last thing is this. As we kind of head down this path and as you think about what this means for you and where you go from here, it's just understanding that generosity is all because of Jesus. I mean, I, I want to make sure that we're clear on this. That when we talk about generosity, that this is not about being a do-gooder or a philanthropist or about Genesis getting something from you. This is about responding to the greatest gift we've been given in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. I mean, those words right there, these words remind us of the kind of generosity, the kind of life that God desires for each of us and how it's inspired and grounded in the life of Jesus Christ. That before he came to this earth, he was rich. I mean, he had all of the benefits of heaven and he gave up every single one of them by becoming us, by becoming one of us. And he lived his life for us and among us. And he died for us and for our sins so that we could become rich rich in forgiveness, rich in faith, rich in hope, and rich in love. I mean, he became poor so that through his generosity, we might become rich in the things that matter most. And uh, I really believe that's why he gave us communion. You know, and, and as we're going to do right now, that when we have the opportunity to celebrate communion, um, we get to be reminded of what Jesus Christ did for us. The generosity of our God in sending Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, our, our band's going to play. We've got two tables set up in the front and a couple in the back. And I'm going to release you here in just a moment to go. And 
uh, at the table, you'll find a cup. Um, and we like to remind people, don't, don't be confused. It's actually two cups. Take them both. The juice is in the top, the crackers in the bottom. Um, but I'll invite you in just a minute to go and to take communion and take it back to your seat. And um, We're going to sing a couple songs, and you can take communion when you're ready. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're invited to celebrate communion with us today, to be reminded of the generosity of our God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a great time to maybe reflect on, hey, what does this mean for me? I mean, what does it truly mean that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of my sins? So I want to invite you to go now, and you can receive that communion. You take it when you're ready. Feel free to pray. Feel free to sing along with us. Uh, Let's give God thanks for his generosity and his love towards us.